Resolve. To decide firmly on a course of action. What kind of resolve do you have to follow Christ? Is it lifelong or convenient? Passionate or dry? Casual or consistent? As we embark on a new year, let's look at our lives in the light of Scripture. Let's get back to the basics to live sold out for Jesus. Let's strive to live for God's pleasure. All right, well, we want to thank, uh, uh, thank you for being here, but we also want to welcome First Norfolk on Volvo, joining us for worship right now. So let's thank them for being with us. It's a joy for us to be one church, two locations, and uh, it's exciting what God has in store. It's exciting what God is already doing among his people today. Uh, one of the things that I loved growing up and still love today, one of the things that um, uh, sparks a fire in my heart um, almost as much as fishing, and that's biscuits. I love biscuits. Love a good biscuit. Uh, I love, I'm just talking about biscuits. Y'all need to chill. Uh, we're, we're, I love the biscuits, and I love, I love the flaky top and the, and the chewy center. I, I, I love the whole process of waiting and anticipating for the biscuit to come out. But in order for the biscuit to be right, in order for the biscuit to be right, you have to have the right ingredients. If that biscuit doesn't have the right ingredients, it's not going to have a tasty flavor. It's not, it's not going to pop up the way it's supposed to pop up. We, we need the biscuits to have the right amount of salt and the right amount of sugar. Make sure to put baking powder and not baking soda. Make sure that you use the right kind of flour. The good stuff, though, make sure you use butter. I'm not talking about fake stuff. Use the real butter and use lots of it. And don't skim on your milk. Use the real deal. And if you want to get real aggressive, do a little buttermilk in those biscuits. <laughs> y'all, y'all are a little frightening today, I've got to tell you. If you want to have good, satisfying biscuits, you have to have the right ingredients. Same thing's true in life. If you're going to have a satisfying life, you have to have the right ingredients. And those ingredients begin with a relationship with God. There is no way that any person in this life or in the next will ever experience satisfaction and joy and peace and comfort in this life apart from a relationship with God. There's not a person born apart from Jesus Christ who will ever experience a full life, a satisfying life, a good life apart from a friendship with God. Now, the problem with us is that all of us have this dilemma that we are separated from God by our sin. Each and every one of you here me included, have this sin thing that has crashed down around us and has robbed us of hope and peace and joy and life and purpose. Our sin has 
has separated us from God so that the very first ingredient that you and I need to have a full and satisfying life is out of our reach. And that's why God sent Jesus our way. God sent Jesus on a mission. Fully God, born, fully man. God himself uh, descended from the throne room of heaven to be born in a manger in a stable, to shrink his deity in the skin and the sandals of humanity. Jesus, fully God, lived his life fully man, and yet he never sinned. There was nothing in Jesus that was displeasing to God. Everything he did was right on target with what God desired. Jesus himself lived in instant and, and, and intimate communion with his Father in heaven because he was sinless. He had no fault, no blemish, no failing in his life. He was perfectly holy, absolutely majestic. He, he did everything that God desired for him to do. That's who Jesus was. Jesus was great. And he did great things. He taught great teachings, great moral truths that, that had people coming and saying, who is this guy? They, they followed after him. They listened to him because he taught as one with authority. He did great things. He took somebody who couldn't see, who couldn't see from the time they were born, and he gave them sight. He took someone who was sick afar off, and he proclaimed them well, and they were well. He took someone that was dead in the grave, and he raised him up to life. This is Jesus. But it was not his great moral authority that brought him to this side of heaven. And it wasn't even his great healing work that brought him to this side of heaven. Jesus came on a mission not to teach great things alone, not to heal in great ways alone. Jesus came to die. He came to build a bridge between sinners like you and me and a holy God. It is through his death on a cross for a sinner like you that you and I have a chance at friendship with God. The very ingredient that we need to have a full life, Jesus came to provide. He took the penalty that our sin demanded. And as the pure sacrifice the one without any blemish or fault. He removed the penalty and the stain of sin from those who would follow after him. And Jesus came to bring forgiveness of sin and he was raised from the dead to give new life to those who embraced him. And through his death as payment for sin in the place of sinners and through his resurrection... To give new life to sinners, he provided an opportunity and an avenue for us to come into a friendship and a relationship with God. And you, if indeed you have repented your sin and placed your faith in Jesus, you know what that means. You know the new life that you have, the moment, the moment you experience that transformation where you moved from darkness to light, from death into life, where you received this gift of forgiving love that God offers through faith in Christ and the new life that he gives through the resurrection from the dead. When you came into that moment of conversion, of new life, of new birth, Everything changed. 
The Spirit of God took up residence in you. You then became the temple of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God took up residence in you to lead and, and, to, and to correct and to admonish and to equip and to encourage and, and to write on your heart a new DNA. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a DNA that's different than the one you were born with. You have a new DNA. The Spirit of God has written upon your heart the DNA, which is the character and the conduct of Jesus Christ. See, you're here today if indeed you're a follower of Jesus, and, and God, by His Spirit, has written upon you a desire and a yearning to live life the way Jesus lived, with His character and with His conduct. That's who you are. And so as we come to our passage today as we're looking at what are the ingredients that we need in our life to experience this full and satisfying life, we first have to begin with a relationship with God, and the only way we get a relationship with God is through faith in Christ. We repent our sin, we take hold of Jesus and, and His rescuing love that He offers us, and we're transformed. We're new creatures in Christ. We've been made brand new. That's who we are. And the Spirit of God is written upon our heart into the very core of our soul, the very essence of our being, a new DNA, a new code of conduct, a new character, and that is the character of Jesus Christ. And from this point forward, our deep desire is to be like Jesus, to live like Jesus, to experience life following after Jesus. So as we follow Jesus today, as we learn a little bit more, if indeed you're a follower of Christ, we learn a little bit more about who we are as followers of Christ and how we are to live. I, have, I ask you to turn in your copy of Scripture to Luke chapter 3. And in Luke chapter 3, we've already looked at the first 20 verses. We looked at those last week. And we, we saw the, 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 the record of John the Baptist who came preaching the good news and, and he came preaching the good news and, and offering a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin, a baptism that is uh, an outward sign of, of this repentance that someone had experienced when they turned toward God and, and the forgiveness that they experienced through that repentance. And John the Baptist came preaching and, and he told the truth in stark terms. And, 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 and now, today, we're going to look at verses 21 and 22 and and we see the intersection between John the Baptist and Jesus. This, this great intersection between the forerunner, the prophet who is to come, and the one who is greater than the prophet. You remember last week, John the Baptist said, they asked him, are you the Messiah? And John the Baptist said, no, I'm not he. Uh, there is one who is coming after me who is greater than me, more powerful than I, whose sandal strap I am unworthy to loose. He said, I baptize you with water, but the one who is coming, this Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And now in verse 21, that one, Jesus, shows up. Let's look at this passage. Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form 
like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. The DNA of a follower of Jesus is the character of Jesus. And that last phrase of verse 22 is a picture of how Jesus lived his life. You see, Jesus lived for God's pleasure. And that is exactly the example that he sets for us. You have the DNA of a follower of Jesus, if indeed you are one. If if you have the DNA of a follower of Jesus, then your desire, part of your DNA makeup, is that you will want, desire, yearn to please God. That's who you are. If you're a follower of Jesus, your desire is to please God, to please him, to find out what he wants and do it. That's your desire. If you have no desire to please God in your everyday life, if you don't have any desire to please God in your everyday life, could I humbly suggest that perhaps you're not a follower of Jesus, no matter what faith tradition you've been following after? If you have no desire to please God in your everyday life, then make no mistake, that is not a picture of someone who is a Christian. So if you're here today and you say, what is this pleasing God business? Then I I would commend to you the words of Jesus which says, you need to repent or you will perish. You need to come to faith in Christ. You need to see your sin as separating you from God. You don't need more religion. You need a relationship with God. You need to repent your sin and place your faith in the finished work of Jesus upon a cross. His shed blood is payment for your sin's debt. You need to to repent your sin and place your trust in Jesus and receive the new life that he offers through his resurrection from the dead. You need to be transformed, and it needs to begin right now. If you have no desire to please God in your everyday life, then today could begin that journey for you. But don't be fooled into thinking just because you show up at church that you're okay with God. There's a whole world of people over centuries of time who show up at church and who have no desire to please God, and they don't know God. And it's proven over and over and over again, don't be that person. But if you are here today and you have that relationship with God and it's transformed your life, it's, 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 the, it's that biscuit kind of life. I mean, it's the, the fullness of life, the satisfying life. If you've tasted that, you know what I'm talking about. Then part of the ingredient of following after Jesus is to live for God's pleasure. And not just kind of casually live for God's pleasure. You've got to be sold out to it. You know, let's take this passage and And let's run through it right quick, unpack some of it. So here is the scenario. There are a bunch of people getting baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And and as they they come, here comes Jesus. Now, the baptism of Jesus is recorded in all the Gospels. And each Gospel writer gives a different kind of viewpoint on it. Um, uh, You have uh, John's Gospel, John chapter 1. Uh, verse 29 and following, you see John the Baptist down here baptizing people, and, and Jesus comes out of the Judean 
uh, hillside and John the Baptist sees Jesus coming. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, 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 and Matthew and Mark, they record Jesus coming to John the Baptist saying, hey, listen, I need to be baptized. Here in Luke's gospel, it just says that Jesus was baptized. The question is, why? Why was Jesus baptized? If you remember, baptism was significant. It, it displayed um, a repentance of sin. Well, Jesus never sinned, therefore he had no need for repentance. Jesus was all right with God. He had never done anything displeasing to God. There was nothing in Jesus that demanded repentance. And in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 3, you hear this. See, John the Baptist understands. He says, he says I, I, you don't need to be baptized by me, he says to Jesus. John the Baptist says, I need to be baptized by you. He understood Jesus was perfect. He was holy. He had no need for baptism. And yet, Jesus said to John the Baptist, permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. The question is, what does that mean? Why was Jesus baptized? And there are lots of, there's been lots of ink spilt over, over why Jesus was baptized. I, I'm a simple guy. I try to keep it simple. Here in the passage, it simply shows, and in each one of the Gospels, it shows that Jesus was baptized, and following his baptism, God spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I think it gets back to something real simple and real basic. Jesus was baptized to please God. Just keep it that simple. We don't have to get more complicated than that. I, I love all, and I've got a lot of footnotes on this, but, but the reality is Jesus was baptized because it's what God wanted him to do. And that's what Matthew 3, verse 15 means. Matthew 3, 15, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. He said, John, you've got to, be, you've got to baptize me because this is what it takes to fulfill all righteousness. This is what it takes to please God. This is what God wants me to do to do. And Jesus was the model of obedience to God. Whatever God wanted Jesus to do, he did. He never, uh, he, he never exalted his own desire as, as, as a fleshly human being. He never exalted his own desire above what God desired. If God said do it, Jesus did it. That's the model that we are to follow. We please God when we obey him. But listen, the enemy of obedience to God is what I want. I want you to listen to this, okay? The enemy of obedience is what I want. You know, think of it this way. Daddy comes into his son or daughter's room and says, I want you to clean your room. But that child wants to play a video game, or watch TV. The enemy of obedience is what I want. The, uh, the parent goes to his teenage son or daughter and says, you need to do your homework. But the teenager says, but I want to hang out with my friends. The enemy of obedience is what I want. Your boss comes and says, I want you to finish the project by Friday. And if you don't finish the project by Friday, I want you to stay throughout the weekend until it's done. And I say, but I want to go fishing. 
The enemy of obedience is what I want. In my relationship with God, the enemy of me, Eric Thomas, obeying God is what me, I, Eric Thomas, want. It's, it's what I want. You see, what I want doesn't always sync with what God wants. And by the way, what God wants will not adjust to fit what I want. So when Jesus comes upon John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is baptizing in the Jordan, and he knows that this is what God the Father wants him to do, he is ready, he is adamant to be baptized. Because obedience to God is more important than satisfaction of self. And this message is not going to be about baptism, but let me go ahead and say this. Some of you are here today and you're followers of Jesus, but for whatever reason, you've determined that you don't need to be baptized. Guys, if Jesus was baptized by immersion in the Jordan River, I would contend that maybe you should get over yourself enough to go ahead and be baptized by immersion as a follower of Jesus. It's just a, just a suggestion. And, and, and I know that probably stepped on somebody's toes a little bit, and, and, and I can appreciate that. And, and if you and I were to talk about it, I would have a little bit more tenderness. Not that much. Scripture's very clear. I become a follower of Jesus, and then I'm baptized. It's very clear. That's the model for the first church in Acts. That's the exhortation from uh, the book of Romans. There is, a, there is a conversion, and then there is a baptism. And some of you have yet to be baptized. And my contention would be the enemy of obedience is what I want. And Jesus said, it, it, I want to hear the Father say, in you I am well pleased. So he, he gave himself to baptism. And you and I are here today and, and, and we need to understand that there is a connection between what we say about our relationship with God and how we live out that relationship. You know the greatest command, right? In Mark chapter 12, 28, 29, 30, 31, it, uh, there was a lawyer that came up to Jesus and he said, he said uh, Master, what is the greatest of all commandments? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment of all is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second like unto it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the greatest commandment, the Shema, hear, O Israel, that, that is love God more than anything else, including yourself. Love God supremely. All right? Jesus, in his teaching, he, he brought it down to even, even more practical matters. In John chapter 14, he said, um, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Did you get it? If you love me, you will obey my commandments. In John chapter 15, verses 9 through 11, and I want to read this, Jesus, Jesus said it this way. He said, um, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Obedience to God is DNA to who we are as followers of Christ. And when we obey him, then the fullness of joy saturates and soaks our soul. Get this, if you say that you love God, but you don't obey him, you're not telling the truth. We don't like to talk about it that way because, you know, we're Baptists and we love grace. But we, we need to understand that I need to understand that when I exalt what I want and dismiss what God wants, it's called disobedience then I'm saying to God, I don't love you. I love me more than I love you. The enemy of obedience to God is what I want. It's not what the culture says. It's not what Hollywood has to say. It's not how bad the government is or how good the government is. That's not the enemy of my obedience. None of those forces have anything to say about me saying yes to God and no to self. The enemy of obedience to God It's what I want. In Old Testament language, that's called an idol. You and I have idols, and let me go ahead and say this. Uh, you need, I, I'm talking a lot first person because this is my journey as well as it is yours. I, I struggle with these I wants in my life, and, and, and that becomes a, a sticky issue for me because I, I want to please God. That's who I am, and you as a follower of Jesus, you want to please God, but, but what you want... The, the things you want, the, 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 the pleasures you want are more important sometimes than what God wants and his pleasures. So you get into this fix. So how, do we, how can we make sure that we live sold out for God's pleasure as Jesus did and we obey God and experience the fullness of joy that comes through that obedience? How do we get there? Well, I think Jesus, again, paints the picture for us. If you look at this passage, you see that, that Jesus was baptized, okay? So all, when, when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And then it says, and while he was praying, the heavens opened. Now, while he was praying, now, now just in the language of the text, here it was, baptized, that was a point in time. That was just, he was baptized. If we were to do a baptism right now, it would be, Dunk in the water, up in the, that's baptism. That's at one point in time. But then it says, while he was praying, that's a different tense verb. It means that Jesus, when he walked up to the Jordan River, he was praying. And Jesus, when he stood before John and said, I need to be baptized, he was praying. And when he's going under the water, he's praying. And when he comes up out of the water, he's praying. And when the heavens open, he's praying. There is a consistency and a constancy of prayer in the life of Jesus. And that was not only in this moment, but it was also a mark, a hallmark of his life. He prayed constantly. He prayed constantly so that he might receive instruction and guidance from God and so that he might declare his allegiance to God, that, so that he might understand what God wants and so that he might embrace what God wants. And Jesus was a man of prayer, and it's that prayer that, that gives us insight into how to obey God when the 
what I want begin to rise up. You think of Jesus, throughout the book of uh, Gospel of Luke, Jesus is praying at key moments in his life and his ministry, but, but then you, you go to Luke chapter 22, Jesus is about to be killed. He's about to be arrested, and, he, and, and as, as he prepares himself to be arrested and then go to the cross and, and, and suffer and die, that cruel, horrific Roman execution. He, he, he's preparing himself. And, and so we find him leaving the upper room with his disciples and walking down through the Kidron Valley and over into the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. And as he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane, he leaves his disciples behind him and he goes a little further than they are and he falls down on his knees and he falls down on his face and he begins to pray. And here's his prayer. Remember, Father, the hour has come. Father, I wish, if, it, if it's at all possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, that is an honest prayer. Father, I don't want to go through this. Dad, I, I, don't, I don't want to have to struggle through this. I, I, don't, I don't want to experience the pain. I don't want to experience the distance that the sin of the world on my shoulders is going to create between you and me. God, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to go through this. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. You and I need to be honest in our praying. Lifting our honest emotions to, to the Father in heaven and, and he will hear. But, but, but then, hear the second part of that. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless. Man, you need to, if you're going to get a tattoo, make it Nevertheless. Or, but God. Either one of those work. Nevertheless. Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. That's what I'm going to do. Father, if, if, if it's possible, I don't want to go through this, but God, I'm more committed to what you want than what I wish. See, we please God when we obey him. We please God when we Embrace the direction that he offers us. When we, when we depend upon him to give us direction and then we depend upon him to show us the way and we commit ourselves to the path that he marks. It, it, the enemy of obedience, the enemy of pleasing God is what I want. That's the enemy. What I want, when I exalt what I want above what God wants, the Bible calls that pride. And the Bible says in many places throughout the Old Testament and New Testament that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Why does God resist the proud? It's because we have set up in our lives idols that we value more important than the one true God. And every, every person here, you've got that little idol. You might say, well, I don't have a little statue in my house. No, you've got a little statue in your heart, and it probably has your name on it. Anytime we lift up what I want above what God wants, that's an idol. It's called idolatry, and it's a product of pride. It's, it's me saying I'm more important than God. How many, oh, we wouldn't say that out loud, but how many times do we do that in a given day? Well, what we learn in this passage from Jesus is that prayer will keep us from pride or pride 
will keep us from prayer. Uh, prayer will keep us from pride. When we, when we uh, uh, give ourselves an intimate, real life, real time communion with the living God in prayer, when we do that, then, then pride begins to shatter and shake and, and begins to be de- demolished. When, when we give ourselves in real time to intimate communion with the living God in prayer, then, then we begin to see his holiness and his majesty and his awesomeness and his ferociousness and his love in real time in our own hearts and our pride begins to shatter and shake and and so something begins to take place in us when we come to God in intimate communion through prayer. And pride begins to tumble. But see, the problem is pride can continue. All of us struggle with pride. Every person here struggles with pride. Uh, and for me, uh, I struggle with pride. I know it. I, I, I acknowledge it. I confess it daily. I, I know I struggle with pride because there is no way I'm going to ask anybody for help if I can at all possibly get away with it. And my problem is I always think I can get away with not needing help. If I'm driving around in the wilderness... And I don't have GPS or a signal or any kind of map. I am not going to stop at the next 7-Eleven and ask for directions to get to where I need to go. I will drive and drive and drive until until the sky gets dark and I start reading the stars. I will do it myself. Now, that is what? What's that called? Pride. Stubborn pride. Yeah, stubborn pride. That's the way we are. In prayer, we receive direction from God on how to experience the fullness of life in obedience to Him. You can receive that, but pride gets in the way. Today, I want to challenge you to commit yourself to pray. I'm not talking about some, some, some pre-written, uh, meme-type, Instagram, Pinterest-type prayers. I mean you open your heart to the living God and let Him speak to you. And he will. And as you pray, you commit yourself to say yes. To embrace his will, even if it means you don't get your way. See, it still is a little tricky. Even when I pray, that, that, that specter of pride keeps rising up and it becomes a, a challenge for me to put that pride down. But again, we see a connection here that speaks to us. Jesus is praying, and while he's praying, God takes the initiative, opens up the heaven, and then sends the Holy Spirit down in bodily form like a dove upon Jesus. It's that, it's that, that, that presence of the Holy Spirit that others saw, that, that affirm that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Son of God, the King who has come, that he is the suffering servant, the one who has come to 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 serve God's purposes and bring rescue to God's people. It's the coming of the Holy Spirit settling down on Jesus like a dove. it's, It's that affirmation that Jesus is the one that the world has been waiting for. Okay? 
But we also understand that Jesus did everything in the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, from that moment, from, from the moment of his birth to the moment of his crucifixion and his resurrection, Jesus lived according to the power of the Holy Spirit. In just a few verses in Luke chapter, 14, uh, Luke chapter 4, Jesus stands in front of a, a, a group of teachers and he opens Isaiah chapter 61 and he begins to read. He says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to bind up the wounded. Jesus said, God has sent me on a spirit-filled mission. We see Jesus depending upon the Spirit of God at every avenue, every aspect of his life and ministry. And that's why he lived for God's pleasure. You see, the Spirit empowered Jesus to bring pleasure to God. And the same thing is true for you and me. When the specter of pride rises up, when when that idol begins to grow inside of us, the idol of what I want above what God wants, it's in that moment that we need the Spirit of God to inspire us, to equip us, to correct us, to overwhelm us, to direct us, to to squelch that that idol in our heart, to, to help us say yes to what God wants. And the Spirit of God dwells within us. And Romans chapter 8 verse 14 says that if if, if you're a son or a daughter of God, make no mistake that the Spirit of God is leading you. The Spirit of God is doing His job. Our job is to submit to His leadership. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 it says that if we walk in the Spirit, then we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. If we say yes to the Spirit of God, if we submit ourselves to the Spirit's rule, if we we say yes, the Spirit is speaking, and I'm going to say yes to what God wants, then the Spirit of God will supernaturally equip and empower us to please God. Don't ever say, I can't please God. Oh, if you're a follower of Jesus, you sure can. The Spirit of God resides within you. So today... My prayer is not that, not, not that we have comfort and not that we be happy. My, my, my prayer is that we would please God, that each of us would give ourselves wholeheartedly to please God and that we would please him from a heart that loves him so that we obey him. And that we would be consistent and constant in our prayer life as, 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 we, as we live each day and, and, and pray through each day so that we have real life, real time intimacy with God the Father in prayer. And find direction from Him, acknowledging we need help. And in that moment, yielding ourselves, submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit of God that He would empower us and equip us to do what God wants. My prayer for us today is that we would please God. The truth is, we need to live for God's pleasure. We need to, if indeed we're followers of Jesus. It's who we are. So let's get the ingredients right. And let's live fully satisfied.
so that we might hear God say, in you, I am well pleased. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Now, here's the problem for me and for you, for each of us. Our struggle is that we've already allowed idols to take hold of our heart. We, we have those idols that, that we've exalted. We've said that, that what I want is more important than what God wants, and we've lived that way for so long that now we're struggling. We hear how Jesus lived his life, and, 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 and we want to be there, but, but now we're, we're overwhelmed with a sense of, uh, look at how I've lived thus far. The good news is that God is a gracious God, and he, is, he has already provided forgiveness for us through Jesus and he is, he is ready to open his arms to you today. And regardless of how many times you've bowed to the little idols of your own making, he's ready to receive that glorious repenting work of your, of your life right now and to shower you with the grace. He's, he's got his arms wide open. And friends, if you're a follower of Jesus today, I invite you to run into his open arms. To to taste again and again and again that wondrous forgiveness. It's here. It's ready for you. So this morning, some of you may need to come to this altar. And coming to this altar, you need to lay down those idols and let the Spirit of God just shatter them and break them. And come to this altar and you commit yourself to obey God whatever He asks you to do. You come to this altar and and you pray, and, and you pray openly and honestly and say, God, I, I know that you want me to do a, a certain thing, but I'm struggling with it. it. It's hard for me. Can you help me? And the Spirit of God will take over in that moment. He'll begin to help. Maybe you need to come to this altar. And last week we talked about sharing a life-changing conversation with 10,000 people in 2018. Sharing the gospel with 10,000 people in 2018, and it's going to take all of us committed to that task. And there, there's a wall outside, and many of you have written the name of that person that you shared the gospel with. And some of you need to make a commitment that even though it's a scary thing, that, that you will be obedient to God and share the gospel with that one person that he's laid upon your heart. Maybe you need to come and pray for God to give you that kind of courage to say yes and to be obedient. So, Father, in these moments as we yield ourselves to you, as we submit ourselves to you, I pray that you would overwhelm us with your loving care, that you would nourish us with your forgiving love. And even though we have all sinned greatly against you, I pray that you would help us run into your arms and find the forgiveness that is there. May we come to your altar and commit ourselves to obey you, asking you by your spirit to crush the enemy of our obedience to you, which is what I want. Father, if there's anyone in this room today who is not yet a follower of Jesus, 
who has not yet tasted the forgiving love that you offer through faith in Christ, I pray by your grace and according to your good pleasure, if you will call them to yourself and draw them to yourself and lead them to repentance. That you would give them the courage and the faith that they need to respond to you in a saving way. Our Lord, be glorified in this moment as we respond to you. God, help for each of us to bring you pleasure right here, right now. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.